real, real conversation, conversation and some hard truths. Gangs, drugs, and guns, giving a voice to those willing to sacrifice. We have stories that need to be told. We have lessons that need to be taught. Protect and serve. Welcome to The Quiet Professional. All right, so we're back with another one. I'm your host, Nathan Romas, and today we've got Steve Emblin, president of the Canadian Historical Arms Society, uh, CHAZ for short, but not to be confused with CHAZ or CHOP or whatever it's called in Seattle. Yep. This is not the same thing. I'm going to give you a little bit of background on uh, Steve. So he's the president for CHAZ for about seven years now. Uh, been on the vo the board or involved for approximately 14. Uh, he's a journeyman welder by trade. He does extreme long-range shooting in his spare time. And he's part owner of EM Precision Rifles. So super busy guy, um, but definitely involved in the firearms world. And that's going to be the main topic for today. Uh, a bit of full disclosure, and we'll probably talk about it a bit later, but some of the carbine program training uh, is done at CHAZ. So, uh, sorry for the Edmonton Police Service. They do some of the training out there. So that's why we've got Steve in here today. Uh, he's going to talk a little bit about himself. And uh, welcome, Steve. Thanks for having me on, Nathan. So, uh, yeah, well, I want to get into your background and, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, so I started welding about 30 years ago. And... This led to excess money. So started shooting more and started buying custom rifles. Uh, then I was looking for a facility to shoot at. So then I joined Chaz and I saw what I would consider some mismanagement of the facility. So I started getting involved with it to, to make it better, at least in my eyes, to make it better. With that, <clears throat> I came a position uh, as a director and then I just kept moving up from there. Took a seat as the vice president for a few years. And then I got the presidency thrust upon me. And I got stuck uh, fixing a lot of years of problems. It's been a long, hard road, but I think we're on the right track now. Uh, started building relations with EPS and the RCMP. Uh, we got the TAC unit out there. We got the carbine training. Uh, uh, the RCMP have their SWAT guys out there. And yeah, then it's just been one battle after another, whether it's fighting the county or taking the CFO to court to see things my way mm -hmm. or our way, I guess. And that leads us up to today. And it's currently uh, part of the range is shut down because of the uh, ongoing battles that have been coming up. Yeah. And is that all with uh the province or is that with other outside agencies or folks uh we had one complaining neighbor he uh for some reason this one neighbor had a really strong voice within the county so whether it was politically motivated or just the right people on council i'm not sure but uh we bought him out mm -hmm. so he's no longer an issue we took possession last thursday of the property so we had a barbecue out there and we had about 170 people come out to celebrate his, his going. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we moved on from there. So 
we're about two weeks away from here from the county where we stand with uh, with the lion's share of the range, whether we're going to have to meet different conditions or whatever. But the permits have been filed, and now it's just a waiting game on a bureaucracy. All right. Uh, we'll get a bit more into that uh, again. I kind of want to go back to just how you got into firearms and how you have such a passion for it. Obviously, it's a huge part of your life. So where did that kind of develop out of? Uh, started shooting gophers with my dad way, way, way back in the day and uh, kind of blossomed from there. In, in all honesty, when I was about 13, I started designing my own rifle range. And uh, I saw it as a, as a really good opportunity to, to make some money because it was something that the, the whole area needed. But at that point in time, you know, at that age, it was a pipe dream that just would never materialize until I was presented with Chaz. Uh, so that led to uh, shooting deer and being out in the bush hunting. After that, I started, uh, we used to have at Chaz, uh, Alberta Long Range Challenge. So I started shooting that with a buddy and it just blossomed from there. Dave, Dave Loki helped me the first couple of times getting out there and getting, getting hits up past 300. And I was hooked from that second on. Yeah. And I know you said in your, uh, some of the info you sent me, 2,600 meters, best to date shot. So I've never hit anything past 300 meters. And even that, it, it's like a speck of dust you can see in the distance. So how do you shoot out to 2,600 meters? Spotters. <laughs> yeah. Uh, ben, ben Click took me under his wing. He's been my shooting partner for the past couple of years. Uh, in wealth of knowledge, more than I could ever retain. And last year we started training <clears throat> very... Uh, rigorously for king of two miles mm. with that we had uh, a friend set up some targets on a pipeline and we started shooting out there for training and i did four consecutive shots at 2600 and it was pretty impressive <laughs> well we have uh because uh, i don't even think i've talked to you about this but uh, ben's going to be doing an episode in August. Oh, I think okay. it's a couple weeks from now. Yep. So, um, yeah, he will be on the show. So I'll <laughs> make sure we have to talk about you. Yeah. And so when you get into the, the long range shooting, uh, can you talk a bit about the community around that and the culture that comes with it? it I'd have to say that the, the long range community from all the other groups that I've been involved with, the ELR community has been the most uh, welcoming uh, there's tons of knowledge out there and guys are more than willing to share. They'll, they'll sit in their spots, spot for you for three hours and never wow. complain. Yeah. You know, as long as you're putting rounds down range, they, they'll sit and watch and give you their time. Uh, other than that, like, I don't even know how to describe them. Like they give what they get and they put it out there. So. I think what a lot of people don't realize too um, is I think a lot of people see the firearms as a, a negative and only as a negative, but they don't realize just like uh, a lot of other things in life, we talk about really fast cars or whatever it may be. There's a culture, there's a community built up around that. Yep, and 
Um, I know from my own personal experience, having gone out to Chaz, uh, I've met some really good people out there, people who are going to be on the podcast to talk about their lives. Um, and people that come from such different backgrounds, such as uh, police, military, fire, um, welders, mm -hmm. uh, you know, entrepreneurs. There's just such a wealth of knowledge and uh, different types of people that you meet. It's probably one of the most relaxing places I go. So, so after being involved with the, with the range for this long and with the community I'm involved with, what I see is a high percentage of people, whether they, they find their Zen while they're shooting, they can turn off the world. Mm -hmm. They can turn off the other 30 guys shooting on the line and just self-absorb themselves into their head and just relax. Yeah. I think, uh, I remember going to my chiropractor and telling them, they're like, Oh, what'd you do on the weekend? And I just said, oh, I was out at the shooting range and it was just a place I go to kind of relax. And they couldn't initially wrap their head around listening to loud noises and the yeah, relaxation part is it, the yeah. relaxation <laughs> yeah. so it has nothing to do with that it's it's just you're out there away from people mm -hmm. it's relaxing um but you're so focused on uh the task at hand and um i mean if, if you got lots of spare cash i guess you can <laughs> go out and just throw rounds down range and uh maybe it's not so relaxing but at, at nine bucks a round my rifle's not cheap to shoot so yeah <laughs> So definitely you got to have a, uh, you're either making your own or you have to have a lot of ex extra money to buy the rounds. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, so with that, um, I did want to kind of get into what the roles as the president of Chaz, what do you do as the president? Uh, I, I'm a very hands-on president. Uh, there's no real separation between me and my board. I delegate and I try to put the right people in the right positions for what we need to do. But there isn't anything on, on their itinerary that I can't do myself. I try to make sure that everybody does the best that they can through support, education, whatever they need to see them succeed in their role. Mm -hmm. uh, I glad hand a lot and I put up with a lot of bullshit. <laughs> uh, but I, I keep coming back. Like I say, this is my seventh year in it and I enjoy it. Mm -hmm. I, I don't shoot much anymore out there, but I enjoy seeing the fruits of my labor coming to fruition. Well, are you out there? Uh, I know there's been lots of stuff going on, like building new shelter at the, uh, the range and setting up, uh, was it the 900 meter? And there's a few other things like projects going on. So do you do those specifically or is the board involved or do you contract that stuff out? Uh, so some of it we contract out. I'm also the, uh, I took on the contract for the maintenance position out there. So I do all the cleanup and whatever else. Uh, a lot of times it's a harebrained idea that I come up with and I present it to the <laughs> board. And generally the board runs with it. Uh, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say they're uh, like mine or sorry, I wouldn't say that they're, they're yes men, but I think I present well enough and I present logical ideas that'll move the range forward and help drive the initiative down the road. Okay. Uh, what does, if you could talk a bit about the types of events. So we spoke a bit about the culture 
of the the range and some of the things that go on uh, just meeting up with people but what are some of the actual events that are hosted there so Chaz ha- has i would say the arguably the largest three gun league in alberta mm. uh, they average anywhere from 40 to 60 shooters with a wait list for every event wow um we have a cowboy action league that's growing uh it's a very they're a very dedicated group that has singular mindset mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, they don't like looking outside the box but they're growing also because uh, i think we i believe we had two events with them last year same thing they sold out really they good 40 plus shooters good. uh we have a growing archery league that's Archery has been pretty neglected at the facility for a long time, but uh, I've got a motivated gent that's running it now, and he's pushing to make it bigger and better and get way more people involved. Uh, we host some PRS events. We're looking to grow that. Uh, that's with Wild, Ro- Wild Rose Action Shooters. So they come out, I think, four to five times a year and put on events. And then we have training. So we have... We do host some ETC courses out there. Uh, it's not directly through the club, but there's a gent that comes out and does it. I just for listening, what is ATC? Authorization to carry, so wilderness carry. Okay. So they have to be qualified, so they have to go through a, a training pr- regime for it. Okay. Uh, what else do we have? Just drawing a blank. Uh, there's the uh, Sierra 64, oh, yes. so Ben's course. So Ben's course, yeah. So we have Sierra 64. Uh, and then off and on, there's a few intermediate ones. We had Earl Green out a couple of times. And mm. like I say, it's, the facility is big enough and no, more than enough room to, to host people when we need. For some of your events, like what are the, uh, what kind of numbers do you draw? Uh, so for Ladies' Day last year, we had, don't quote me 100%, but I believe it was 86 women that came out to to come out and enjoy and learn about it and see if it's something they'd be into. Okay. Uh, we have a family day event, and we usually draw anywhere from 100 to 125 people out for that. Uh, we try to target non-members mm-hmm. for these outside events, just trying to gain more exposure for the club and just build up, build up more people that know about us and understand what we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that would be important. To, it's not necessarily always just about you know, getting members, but to have people that understand why people go to these things and just see, you know, uh, the firearms are in and of themselves. They're not yep. a bad thing. Yeah. So um, the, the women are really good for that. Uh, w- women are more competitive than you and me will ever be. And, oh, yeah. and they'll never admit to it, but they are. But you put them on the firing line and that Zen thing kicks in. Once they get over that initial fear and they just flow with it. Women yeah. are women are instinctually better shooters than men will ever be. Really? Yeah. It's more calm or yeah. More calm, more rational. Yeah. Not not so testosterone driven as yeah. we are. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so. All right. That makes it makes sense. Uh so out there. Uh, can you talk about some of the people that you've met over the years? So you mentioned Ben, but maybe some of the relationships you've developed from there and gone on to kind of foster. Yeah. So when I, when I first started shooting longer ranges, uh, I started talking with Bob Chaff. So he was part of BPS TAC for mm-hmm. 
how many hundreds of years, I'm not sure. Uh, Bill Newton was in that circle because they shot together. I hosted some private shoots out on Crown Land and both of them come out to that, so got to know them better. Uh, then I met Ben through the range and through another party that I know kind of thing. Fostered and built that relationship and I don't know, I think it's been going good. He doesn't talk to me, but, <laughs> but he doesn't say anything different. <laughs> uh, I met my partner in my uh, rifle company through the range. Uh, he was a young kid that had all these bright ideas that I had to squash and make mm -hmm. better. <laughs> so, uh, other than that, the board itself, like, great, thrown into a situation and got to meet a bunch of great people that that have the same goal of driving us forward. Is, is anybody on the board uh, full-time there? Or is it everybody's got a you know their full-time job and does yeah. this on the side? Uh, so Chaz is entirely uh, a volunteer society. We contract out work like the maintenance and whatnot or bigger buildings, but everybody volunteers their time. Mm -hmm. There is no paid positions. There's no real perks to it. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, um, I was going to ask too, is there a program for kids to learn and develop their skills once they're there? So. Currently, we have a maple seed program that runs out there. Uh, I'd like to see that grow bigger and better. I'd like to see more dedicated events more often. Uh, but range time is a premium, and it's hard juggling all the different factions that want to take up time at the range. Mm -hmm. But it's something that we're looking forward to expanding upon in the future. I think that would be a, a very interesting program. I would imagine so firearms training i know for adults is uh it can really help with teaching discipline focus uh but for kids especially just the responsibility of being mm -hmm. out there and kind of you know taking care of your firearm handling it making sure you're safe on the line yeah. and um and then I think also it's a, it's a good thing, just like you'd see maybe putting kids in martial arts or any other kind of community-based uh, events or sports. It's just something to help them develop as a person and make friends, right? Yeah. Future connections. It, it definitely helps with the, like, with the social structure for kids because it introduces them to something different, a little, not something that's 100% normal, would be considered normal for an activity, right? Mm -hmm. And I think... I think it expands them as people. Uh, like you say, like the, the the aspect of it for them to know the process, repeat the process and make the process good, I think is good for them because then it, it can tie to schoolwork or anything in life where you have to be structured. Yeah. So. Well, and even just the, if you're properly maintaining your equipment and, and just getting to know how these things function, and it's very detailed and you can basically go on an endless list of things you need to know or do once you're out there. Yeah. Um, I think also like you're saying with how it's kind of, it's not a, I want to say a mainstream uh, thing to do. It's not playing video games. Yeah. It's <laughs> so, not hockey. It's not soccer. It's, yeah. yeah. Uh, but there's an element of coolness to that where you're doing something that's 
out of the ordinary and not everybody can do because not everybody can get a firearms license. So, um, speaking of that, like when, uh, when I go to my son's events at school, he introduces me as, as his dad, the guy that builds guns, right? <laughs> oh, really? And that, that's a really good icebreaker for him because it seems kids are interested in guns because of the video games they play and the way society is structured. It, there's this aura behind it that nobody really gets to explore. He's got a front seat view to it. I mean, he's, he's 11 and he's had a custom rifle for three years now, so, and he can, he can speak to it and he can explain to these kids what's, what's going on and how to properly handle it. Right. Yeah. And he enjoys that, that little niche. <laughs> I think, would that not be a, uh, I guess it'd be a good idea too, to explain to his friends, uh, saying, you know, what you see in the movies, the guy gets shot with a little pea shooter, but he goes flying 10 feet in the air. Yeah. And it, it, it comes out on the other end for police. So when we deal with somebody and, you know, they want to know, well, why'd you shoot however many times? Or, uh, you know, why'd you even just shoot more than once? Yeah. Because uh, one round doesn't really stop the threat. Uh, so I think people have a real disconnect between what they've seen in Hollywood Oh, and for sure. Video games sure. with real life. And that's why we get the experts in here like you to talk about things like this. Yeah. <laughs> so on that, um, talking about some of the firearms training and safety that is out there, what are some of the courses that people can go through to learn about firearms handling and then safety outside of the, I guess, the licensing course? Uh, so right now we have uh, Sierra 64 and we have Learn to Shoot. Uh, so Learn to Shoot is more of a beginner's introductory course where they take you from not having a PAL to coming in, learning how to safely handle, discharge, uh, all, all the key elements to it and how to shoot properly. And then we have uh, Sierra 64, which is a little bit more tailor driven. He'll define a course to what you need or what you're looking for. So he'll start at the root cause of what's going on. And then Ben builds from there and fixes what's wrong. Okay. Um, both courses really economically priced, local and great guys to learn from. Yeah. Like I say, they both have more knowledge than any of us could probably hope to retain. Yeah. In the long, in the end. <laughs> <laughs> what about, uh, have you had any experience with courses, say, outside of Chaz, but um, like even in the U.S. or overseas, have you taken part in anything out there? I I personally haven't. I've, I took a few uh, tactical dynamics courses a few years ago, carbine and pistol, and uh, I went to level four with both of those, but suddenly the gentleman died and the courses yeah. died with him. So for at least up here, they still run out of the States, but nothing much here. Okay. Uh, do you hear anything about those courses? If there any validity uh, to them, or are these just you know the uh, weekend warrior type thing, and they're making some stuff up? That that's kind of a hard one. I mean, depending on what your goal is, I I'd, it, it, you'd have to research who you're definitely research who you're trying to book your courses through. Uh, there's lots of weekend warriors out there that will sell you a training program, and don't have any clue mm -hmm. you know youtube youtube is their friend <laughs> <laughs> uh but 
hey, any good course will offer literature, uh, a scope for what you're trying to learn, and they'll have the experience behind them. You know, whether it's military, LEO, or just putting time in to be train a trainer kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, but once again, Google's your friend and research everybody to the next degree. Okay. I think that's really good advice for people, right? You want to know, um, I'll even use martial arts again since we brought it up, but uh, if you're going to pick a gym to go to, you're probably looking to who the trainers are and see their their history, their accolades. Yeah. Same with if you're going to pick a firearms course. Uh, just know who's teaching it, ask around, get on some community groups, you know, do your due diligence. Word of mouth I've always found is the best. Mm -hmm. Spend time out. Like if you know they operate out at the range, come out and talk to people about them. Try to learn about them without them knowing because everybody will, everybody will pump their own tires and tell you that yeah. they're the next, next greatest and best thing. Right. <laughs> but, uh, research and do lots of it. Uh, so recently we had a, uh, Terry Bryanton, chief firearms officer for Alberta. And we were talking a bit about the laws and some of the stuff that has, uh, changed recently. So there's been laws around the non-restricted guns and then the handguns. Uh, I know your business primarily is focused on the long range shooting, so it's rifles, but can you talk a bit about how some of those laws have affected, uh, either CHAZ and or EM precision? So I, when, when they put the OIC in, I, I lost about $20,000 worth of stuff between reamers and tooling dedicated to bigger calibers, whether it's 50 or 4 h high tack kind of stuff. And then I lost some of my own personal guns that I had to revamp to mm. make them compliant with the new laws. Uh, because they became pro-hib, right? Yeah. Okay. I, I was over the jewels rating yeah. <laughs> and it was kind of heartbreaking to see that, that part of the rifle go, but mm -hmm. rebarreled it and come into compliance and walk that line and make sure that I'm on the right side of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's uh, I know I have one at home that I purchased. I got it out to the range once. Then what happened first was it? I think COVID shut down the ranges first, then the OIC, yeah. like a month or two later. It's like, wow, well, <laughs> yeah. there goes a thousand dollars. Same thing. I built an AR. <clears throat> I just spun the barrel onto it three days before the OIC came in. I was going to go out on Saturday and shoot it, and it's still sitting in my safe. Yeah. Was there any uh, consultation at all with? Uh, I know they weren't co consulting with individual businesses. It, that might be impossible, but just the firearms community at large what, that you know of. I, I'd i like to think we've got a fairly good network and a fairly deep network that sees different things. We never heard anything about it. it there was nothing that came our way. Yeah. So, so all these businesses, small businesses especially, uh, too bad, so sad. Got smashed with it, and here it is. So when those new laws come in, what do you do with the inventory you have? Like, can you, you can't ship these back to the U.S. to the manufacturers say, can I have some money back? Because our government changed the laws. Yeah. So what kind of happens with them? Uh, when the OIC hit, I actually 
was in the process of working on a 50 cal. Mm-hmm. And of course, 50 cal is way over on the Jules rating, so that was one of the ones that got cut. So uh, because it was owned before I started working on it by the customer, I had to complete it and return it to him. But to this day, I don't believe he ever shot it. So it was inventory that was stuck, but at least it was started so that I could fit, complete it and send it off to him. So the rest of the stuff, so if you have rifles for sale that, uh, when we say joules, this is the measure of energy, energy that yeah. the round is putting out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if it's over on that or whatever other thing they decided to classify as prohib, like uh, the AR upper receivers yeah. are now prohib, um, that if you have any of that for sale, it just sits there. It sits there. Yeah. Wow. Uh, like the good thing for us is because we uh, can spin on different barrels from an action standpoint, they're there's generally a workaround like that. Like if you have a four weight action, we can we can chamber it into a three thirty or a thirty three enabler or something like that. Mm. We get you under that jewel rating. But for a dedicated uh, like an AR or something like that, yeah, no, you're pretty much hooped because it's all across the board for it. Okay. Well, is there any as somebody I guess who's you know heavily involved in the firearms community? Are there any laws? or um, restrictions that you think would be beneficial or things that could have changed that would be uh, more effective than what has been implemented? Honestly, I think they should have just taken the money, given it to the police services and the mental health agencies Mm -hmm. and distributed that way so that you guys can be more effective at your job and then the people that need the help can get the help. Mm-hmm. Uh, the average firearms owner is not the problem. Uh, we're we're so burdened with laws that overlap and make no sense that the layman can't understand it. But a, a mentally ill person is still a mentally ill person at the end of the day, whether they have guns or not. And what they do with it is outside of my control, is outside of your control. Mm-hmm. But with the proper help or proper policing to help them, I think would be better served on a on a grander scale. That's one thing that uh, Terry Bryant, when she was in, talked about how uh, you know the federal government talks about how they want better background checks, better uh, say restrictions on firearms, but they're not funded properly. They can't do the amount of checks they want to do uh, in the time they need to do them. Yeah. So. They were t- that was on the funding side of things, and I guess it's it's short there. Um, but as for the laws, one thing I find kind of interesting is, and working on the gang team here in Edmonton, uh, almost on a weekly basis, we pull a gun off of somebody, and uh, a lot of the guns now that we get are from the U.S. So people are running them over the border. Yep. Um, getting them over on trucks, however that's happening. So I see what you're saying. Give it to the law enforcement agencies to better police borders, uh, ports, all those things. And then also on the prosecution side of things, if somebody's got these guns and they're not paying for it uh, through the 
the justice system or some other means, uh, there's no disincentive to do it. No, if, if you're getting a slap on the wrist, whereas, you know, for importing an illegal firearm, but if I, if I don't uh, do the proper paperwork to bring a gun into my shop now, I'm looking at four years, I believe it is. And it's just like, where's the justice in that, right? Yeah, it's targeting, some of it is targeting the, the easy prey, yeah. for lack of a better term. So It fits yeah. their narrative and it, it lets them promote their agenda for sure, yeah. in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, what uh, kind of move on, since we're talking a bit about law enforcement, um, you said that you have EPS train out at Chaz, you have the RCMP out there. Does the military do anything out there? It's it's actually kind of funny and, and sad at the same time. So uh, Ben came to the board. Well, he asked me initially, and I told him to come to the board. So the Canadian sniper team, is their budget has been throttled back to the point where they don't have money to train. Yeah. Uh, we have a good sniper contingent here, and Ben proposed that they come out and train at Chaz because they couldn't get range time anywhere else. So we put it forward and I believe Ben had six days booked to bring them in this year uh, to run uh, Tremor 3 training, shooting, just everything. And then the county hit us. So we got shut down, so that kind of got squashed. I'm hoping we can potentially save a few dates as soon as we get back opened up. But until I see the paperwork, I don't know what's gonna happen. Sadly, but uh, I really wanted to see that one go because that would would have been a good thing. Yeah, I think uh, people need to realize, or the public needs to realize, like, these ranges serve a purpose that is uh, just greater than people wanting to go shoot a gun every once in a while. They are, um, you know, the police service doesn't have the money to build unlimited ranges to do to serve all the purposes that they need. Um, same with military, as you're talking about. And um, yeah, I think people, it's nice to have uh, people like yourself on to talk about these because even working in police, I don't know, I don't know half these uh, relationships exist or half these places exist to do the training or facilitate a lot of the stuff that yeah. that is actually needed, is necessary. So yeah, we, uh... I, when I first met Luke Labonte, when he came out and we were uh, discussing having the carbine come out and do their quals out at, the Chaz, at Chaz, first thing I hit him with is, is, what can I do to make this better so you guys will use me more? Mm-hmm. Uh, so then we started talking about like a dedicated 270-degree two, bay so that you could do uh, access and egress training from cars and just a whole bunch of stuff and then like threw around the idea of night shoots if we get the county to sign off on that like there's a lot of stuff that we can offer or potentially offer as long as the right questions are asked and the motivation's put in the right places wow i didn't even know they do some of that training out there uh that's actually pretty good pretty cool um what is the current state of Chaz? so you are waiting on the county to approve something. Can you talk about yep. what yep. the county or why it's been shut down and, and where it's going? So 
essentially what happened is Chaz has existed on that property since 1987. Uh, the, the permitting process over that span of time, because we've added stuff and taken away stuff and everything, uh, our entire file with the county of Leduc was pretty messed up. They came at us and asked some unreasonable questions. So we put it to our lawyer and the lawyer said, no, don't comply with this. So on legal advice, that's the direction we went. And that led into a bigger fight, which has led into another fight. And now here we are. Uh, so essentially what happened with that is I started building the new 900 meter range for F class and for other training facility or training aspects. Our com complaining neighbor didn't remember that we had an approved permit from 2014 to start building this. Took a few years, but we started getting on it. And then this opened up this window with the county because now they're getting complaints and they started looking at other things. They started looking mm -hmm. into everything. So now it's, it's a teardrop effect where it's just one thing after another, after another, after another. And uh, in the end, even though I had a signed permit, they didn't recognize it because hmm. they didn't know what they were looking at. But it was signed off and dated, and filed and everything. So, so this is the real contentious part behind this is what, where we're at now is because I was building something that I was permitted to build. Okay. So uh, we've gotten around that. So what they wanted us to do was essentially repermit the entire range excluding buildings. Uh, they, they had a very limited understanding of what we did out there. So they thought every backstop was a new shooting position. Hmm. So if I added a backstop, they viewed it as I was intensifying the use. Hmm. When there's 15 positions to shoot from, there's only 15 people that can be there. Whether I've got 100 backstops or I've got three. And when you say backstops, is that just like individual, like a, a target up? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we, uh, once we got past the lawyers, we, we talked to the county and we said, let's have a discussion without the lawyers because their lawyers are notorious <laughs> for making the lawyers muddy. Yeah. Uh, so we sat down, we had two meetings with them and then we hosted them out at the range for a tour. So we drove, uh, drove them around, showed them everything, explained why this is like this and why that's like that. Uh, tried to express to them that through the templating guidelines that the CFO op makes us operate under, makes us a very safe facility. There should never be a safety concern while we're out there. And uh, to get that, to get to, to a point where they could understand that. And that was a challenge. Uh, because they're not part of the community, they don't understand. Mm -hmm. They they've got the Hollywood syndrome where they see what they think goes on. Well, I think it's funny that you're saying like a new backdrop is a new shooting position. Just so they they're under the impression they you know when somebody comes out to the range that they just stand there, fire in a straight line, go home. And I can you know just put up on a second target. Yeah, you know a foot over, and. 
have a little bit more fun, I guess, if you want to say, <laughs> but um, yeah, there's quite dynamic things, especially with, when it comes to the police training, yep. there's a whole bunch of needs and you can't just have the static. Static positions. Yeah. yeah. And, and this was, uh, like I say, it was something that we tried to drive home to make them under, not to make them understand, but to help them understand, mm -hmm. I guess is better terminology that there's a lot more to this than just a whole bunch of hillbilly rednecks out there just <laughs> blasting shit. Uh, and, and I think they've got, I think they've got it now and they understand better. Uh, hindsight looking at this, I should have did this five years ago with them. Yeah. Uh, it would have made my life a lot easier, but to save the club a whole bunch of money and our doors would have been open more. Mm. But for what it's worth, I mean, it's a lesson learned and we're paying a price and we're, we're going to win. Yeah. Well, and you just know for the future, right? It's, I guess, keep in contact with them and, yeah. and have those relationships. Maybe even if somebody there wants to join and be... Oh. I'll throw them a membership. Yeah. And just let them come out and try. Yeah. <laughs> but it's good, right? If they're involved with the county, um, they should know who's in their area and maybe should take part in some of the events going on. Yep. So I think that'd be pretty important. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna try to get more uh more political and try to include the county more, like from a counselor standpoint, and try to have that that more a little bit more exposure and understanding from their side of things so that they go back to a council meeting and explain better or just let something go because they understand the, the principle and the concept behind it now yeah it's it's i don't think it's asking for much no it's just saying hey can you listen and uh try to have an understanding of what we're doing and where we're coming from yep so is uh i want you to talk about uh, EM precision a little bit. So sure. I'd like for people to know, you know, just the, the people that are involved with the police and that help us out and stuff, um, just as much about them as possible. So can you talk about your business? So my business was founded in 2013. Uh, it, it, was, it was kind of funny because I, I bought a lathe with the intention of doing my own stuff. And it was the only way I could sell it to my wife for me to buy the lathe is I'll be saving money <laughs> because I won't have to get other people to build my guns. And then there's that circle of us where all of us could take advantage of that. So my initial goal was to build five rifles in my first year. And I built five rifles in my first month. And then it just kept blossoming from there. Uh, my partner, Shane, huge driving factor behind that he's a salesman and you know turn him loose and he'll mm -hmm. find the work for you <laughs> and it's just grown and grown and grown from there uh, we're still home based but we're on average we're probably doing 150 to 200 rifles a year really so wow. that's part-time working other jobs and looking after stuff like the range too how big is the business how many people do you employ uh, there's three of us so me and shane as partners and then uh, i have baby getson uh he works in my shop he's the guy that does the bedding and the circles and most of the assemblies and everything oh wow so 
I, I'm just a lathe monkey. I just stand in front of the lathe and make, make stuff round. <laughs> I thought maybe you had a whole bunch of people. So you're oh. not only doing your full-time job, and but you're at the shop building all this stuff too. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's it, some some very long weeks and very long days trying to keep on top of everything. But. Who do you build rifles for? Is it just individual consumer or are there services or other groups? Uh, for the most part, we commission builds for the individual. Uh, we've done a few production runs of rifles, like we had our How Many line, and we're still working on making a production rifle that we can put into, say, Wild West or uh, Phoenix or whatever. Like under your own branding? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so we have our own action, our, our own branded action. Should be landing next week. So we're going to try to build this on that and try to make something economical that would meet production class for, say, PRS or something like that. Eh? Okay. Um, a majority of the rifles that we build are PRS-orientated. Uh, structured for the events like that. And then ELR is our next. We have lots of guys coming to us for, for the bigger boomers. So, All right. What, uh, do you have any famous people that are big names that have uh, shot anything and won some stuff? Uh, well, the first year me and Shane shot King at two miles. He took third. I took fifth. Uh, not that that's really renowned or anything. Uh, we, we build lots of rifles for, uh, Mark Skeels. He's the owner of one of the big guys at Trigger Tech. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have, I believe we have eight sponsored shooters that shoot all over Canada and the U.S. Wow. So we're getting, getting, trying to get out there. <laughs> yeah. And what type of rifles? So is it all bolt action? Yeah, it's all bolt action. All bolt action? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We, uh, we, we don't delve into the semi-auto world because there's a million people doing yeah. that stuff with way deeper pockets than we've got. So. Yeah. But we can still paint paint them or assemble them or whatever you need from that from that aspect. Do you guys do any work on handguns? Uh, we're licensed for handguns. In nine years now, I think I've had three come through the shop. So generally, it's just okay. for a spray or a bad feed ramp kind of thing. So just a little bit of like general gunsmithing on it. Okay. So what? Um, uh, how can people? And I want to make sure you get chance to kind of plug some of the stuff how can people connect with you so either Chaz or em precision um if they want to find you where do they go uh, so the, the best way to find us for em is on facebook uh send shane a message through messenger or whatever uh our facebook page does have shane's phone number for contact so feel free to call him he can help point you in a direction and then for Chaz, uh, the only way you can get a hold of me, unless you know me, is uh, uh, president at historicalarms.com or historical-arms.com. Okay. So. And and we look you guys up on uh, Instagram. Yeah. So EMs on there. Instagram, and we just got into TikTok also. Oh really? Yeah. So you're putting like clips of people should do in the shooting and stuff. Yeah, Shane and Carrie have been uh, doing clips of the while they're at the PRS matches. So okay. they're starting to, they're starting to get better at that. <laughs> but that, 
There's too many things. There's just too much stuff now. Oh, and it switches. TikTok will be gone in a year. It'll be something else. Yeah. Yeah. You, you can't keep up. And then every system's a little different. And yeah, it's there, there's what that's why we have technical people that handle that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, uh, is there anything you think we missed? Anything you'd like to talk about? Uh, just come out and support your range. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think a lot of people realize that like 99% of the ranges are, are volunteer driven. And I don't think the people realize the amount of effort that gets put into keeping a facility open, especially something as large as Chaz. Yeah. Uh, and if you got to complain about something, take it to the right people. Don't put it on social media and be that guy, but talk to the people in charge and don't be a dick about it. Just present it well. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, you're, I guess your local police need the ranges. Yep. Uh, and even your military. military. Needs it. So everybody's, everybody's kind of out there. Yeah. So. So that's what I'd say is, like you say, support, support them the best you can. Offer a hand. Great. Well, uh, I want to thank you for coming in today and we'll definitely look to have you on again. I'm sure there'll be some, something down the road with Chaz or EM that we can discuss. Um, Maybe they'll just let you go wild and build whatever you want out there. Maybe the rules will change. Uh, (laughs) There's a whole new set of permits going in. So yeah. All right. Well, thank you. Thank uh, you. Yeah. We'll we'll definitely have you on again. Okay.